Bergen Kids programming will only be at the 4 o'clock. So if you have kids, if you want to hold them the whole time, that's fine. You can come to 545. But if you want to uh, have them in the um, Bergen Kids programming, bring them to the 4. Also, um, in our off-seasons, we do a small group ministry. We call them growth groups, place friends, help friends follow Jesus in the fall and the spring. But in the winter and the summer, so take a break. And that's the, ultimately for the purpose of giving the leaders a rest uh, so they can recuperate and dive right back in and love you members well uh, in the seasons. But in the winter and summer seasons, we do a little equip classes. We invite a lot of people, anybody can come to the church. Uh, the two classes, Tuesday and Wednesday night, Tuesday will be a revelation class, just teaching through how do you study it, a lot of questions about it, what does it mean. Um, and then we're also teaching a personal evangelism, evangelism class on Wednesday nights to go in tandem with First Peter in our Elect, elect Exile series, uh, which we're picking back up in January. You can sign, for up, sign up for it online. Hope to see you guys there. Well, I always say let's get to the good stuff. We are here to hear the word of God preached and Jesus glorified from his word. And so let me pray and ask for God to bless uh, the teaching and the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he is Lord, that he is king, that he is reigning and ruling over all things now that he came to give his life for us. We thank you that he is our Prince of Peace. When Jesus sits on the throne, all is at rest. True peace comes when Jesus sits on the throne. We pray that it would be so real to us. It would not be ethereal, some intellectual thing that's cute to know, but it would actually be a powerful source and resource for our hearts to endure much trouble in our lives. We love you, Jesus. Would you become so glorified in and through our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we have been in our annual Advent series. Advent just means coming. It's all about the coming of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to be the expression of God's love, to be the embodiment of God's love, ultimately expressed and seen when he died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And the idea is herald. Herald, that just means Preach, proclaim, a herald is someone who comes from the king to announce a word from the king. Everyone needs to pay attention to what the herald is saying. And so there were prophets many years ago who foretold and heralded and proclaimed and preached the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, that is Jesus. And one of these prophets, his name was Isaiah. He preached one of the most famous prophecies about Jesus from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this has kind of been our theme verse throughout our Advent series. And in this prophecy, in this heralding moment, he lists four names that are meant to be applied to Jesus when he was born on Christmas Day. And each of these names is meant to illustrate and communicate to us who he is for us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So last week, Pastor Mike, I don't know about you guys, but I was just blessed to the max to hear about Jesus being our everlasting father. He is not, he, Jesus is not God the father. He is God the son, but in, in a weird way, the father, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the father. Jesus is the perfect expression of who God the Father is and the perfect expression of God the Father's love for his children. So through Jesus, for all eternity, everlasting Father, he will forever, 
When you look at Jesus, when you embrace Jesus, when you know Jesus, you know the love of the Father forever. He will forever relate to you as what Pastor Mike said, as dad. I was like, that's all I need. That's all I just need. That's what I need to hear. And this week, I get the privilege of wrapping up Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Pastor Mike's going to roll out on Christmas Eve, Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean for us? But Isaiah 9, 6, the last one is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. If I could just summarize what this phrase, Prince of Peace, excuse me, Prince of Peace, it would be this. When Jesus is on the throne, all is at rest. If I could just put this really simply. When Jesus sits on the throne, everything is at rest. All is at rest. Everything, every single thing is at rest. Everything is, is as it should be. And I'm not just talking about a superficial piece. I'm not talking about like a, a, a temporary piece that comes and goes. I'm talking about a total all-encompassing piece. Every single relationship in your life, that is your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, your relationship with the creation that you walk on, and even your relationship with yourself is at rest. Every single relationship is at rest. Everything is as it should be. And the Bible actually has a specific term that encapsulates this totality of peace. Does anybody know what that is? Shalom. It's the word shalom. So Jesus is the prince of shalom. Anytime you hear this word shalom, what you should think about, the best illustration of what shalom looks like is back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates all things, and behold, it was very good. So you've got Adam and Eve. They are right with God. They are right with each other. It says they were naked and unashamed. That is, they had nothing to hide. We have lots to hide from each other. So they're right with God, right with each other. They were right with creation, and they even were right with themselves. They had a perfectly clear, clean pure conscience. And then Genesis 3, the most tragic day of the universe, except for when Jesus was crucified, though it is Good Friday. One of the worst days in the history of mankind is when sin came in and it literally shattered every single relationship. I love the way that uh, pretty, the well-known preacher Matt Chandler puts it. He, it fractured the cosmos. There were cracks that went through every single thing in all of creation when sin came in. And it was irreparable unless God intervenes. And that is what the Prince of Peace is all about. Jesus came to sit upon the throne and restore shalom back to the way things were supposed to be. And it's interesting, Isaiah actually links Prince of Peace with the throne of David. If you look at just the next verse, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that line. We could do a whole sermon on that. The passion of God 
the jealous, fiery love of God is promising and is ensuring and is empowering and going to see to it that this happens. But that's another sermon. The phrase, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So this is alluding to the first king is Saul. He was bad. David comes in, takes over, and he assumes the throne in Jerusalem. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And the Lord gave him rest from all his surrounding enemies. And David thinks, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the time when God ushers in his kingdom? Could this be it when, when the full kingdom of God comes? Is it coming through me? And God comes to him and basically says, it's, it's not going to be you. You're, you're going to die. It's not going to be your son Solomon. He's going to turn from the Lord. And it's not going to be Solomon's son. In fact, Solomon's son Rehoboam makes a foolish decision and splits the kingdom in half. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And that just goes really, really bad. Because this moment when David is sitting on the throne and God gave him rest from all his surrounding enemies... That wasn't the prophecy. The prophecy was not being fulfilled. The Messiah had not come yet. It was more of a foreshadowing of what things would look like when the true Christ does come. When Jesus sits on the throne, all is at rest. Here's the thing, though. This shalom that we long for, that we hope for, and it's not a pipe dream, it's a reality. Longing for shalom, longing for perfection in all of our relationships with God, with each other, with creation, with ourselves. That is not a pipe dream. That is not, that's not pie in the sky. That's, that's a reality. It's actually going to happen. And if you think it's not real, I would ask, then why do we want it so bad? To long for this is just as natural to long for water when you're thirsty. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, uh, why would this, that, that every single natural and good desire that we have has a legitimate fulfillment. When we get thirsty, there's water. It doesn't mean we'll get water. It just means that there's water. When we are hungry, it means that there's food to fulfill that. When we are in love and desire sexual intimacy with someone that we love in marriage, it is there. If we all long for perfection, long for rest, long for totality of shalom. It doesn't guarantee you'll get it, but it's an indicator that it's a reality to come. But this shalom that we long for, it doesn't happen in a single instant. It happens in progressive stages. It unfolds. It comes in waves. This was God's plan. This was God's intention. And each moment of shalom that was released upon us, upon this world through Jesus, happened when he sat on a throne. Every time Jesus sits on a throne, a new unleashing of shalom gets put on us. And you might be wondering, you're saying a throne? I thought there was only one throne. And what I'm going to do today is I'm actually going to argue that there are three thrones that Jesus has to sit on in order for the fullness of shalom to come and be yours. So first, 
There is a peace that came, number one, when Jesus sat on heaven's throne. There is a peace that came when Jesus sat on heaven's throne. Heaven is a place of infinite, absolute purity, perfection, holiness, and beauty. No sinner has a right to enter into heaven. If any single one of us tried to enter through the gates of heaven, it would be like a vampire trying to step into the light. Our very nature and makeup cannot bear and handle the purity of heaven's light. In fact, King David says in Psalm 24, he actually sings a song about this reality in Psalm 24. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Anyone in here have clean hands? Perfectly clean hands. Anyone in here have a pure heart? Is anyone's heart pure and totally clean before God? Has anyone ever lifted up their soul to what is a false God, to something that is not God, that is anything that God has made? Has anyone ever sworn deceitfully? Has anyone ever deceived a fellow brother and sister? That is all of us. We do not deserve, we have no rights, we have no ability to enter into heaven's throne, but David sees something in the future in this psalm. He sees someone coming. Verse 7. He sees someone approaching the gates. And it's an illustration of the gates of God's perfect realm, his kingdom. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, come to unlock the gates of heaven. He is the only one who is without sin. Jesus is the only man ever to walk the earth who had clean hands. He's the only one on the earth to have a pure heart. He's the only one on earth who never lifted up his soul to what is false, but only to the one true God. And he only spoke the truth in love. And so when Jesus approached heaven's gates, as it were, it was if heaven's gates, he calls it ancient doors. If heaven's gates could develop rust, which they can't, but if they were rusty, pretend that they're rusty and old, they have been opened in ages. And Jesus walks up to the throne, to the gates of heaven, and they creak open for the first time. They almost have to ask Jesus for forgiveness for, every, for even stepping in his way. And dust falls off the hinges of heaven's gates. And as Jesus walks through, I want you to imagine 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000, a massive sea of angels, and every single one of them, their knees buckle, and they fall prostrate before Jesus. Because the sheer majesty and magnitude of his glory 
and he stepped up and he sat down. As it says in Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purification for sins. So when Jesus sat on the throne, peace of God was made available to all who would trust in him. Peace of God was unleashed. This was the first stage of shalom unleashed. When Jesus sat on heaven's throne, peace with God was available. He actually went into heaven on our behalf. It says in Hebrews 9, 24 and 26, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The most important aspect of peace that you need is not financial security, is not a perfect family, not the perfect job. You must have peace with God. If you do not have peace with God, and the, at the end of the day, nothing else matters. And Jesus entered into heaven and he dealt with the very thing that did not make you at peace with God. It made you at enmity with God, which was your sin. So Jesus goes into heaven with your sins, carrying them to the cross. And he put them away by the sacrifice of himself. And so that now when he sits on the throne, he became the one person that all sinners could cling to and find peace with God. And he not only does that, it's not just a one-time thing. It's not like he sits on the throne and peace of God is had immediately and nothing else really happens after that. It's a continual day-to-day peace with God that he ensures for you. In Hebrews 7.25 It says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Few verses in the Bible have been more of a blessing to me in crumbly times when I felt very fragile, when I felt very susceptible to Satan's temptations, when I felt very weak, when I didn't really feel strong. Few verses have come in and support me like this one. He always lives to make intercession for them. So the reason why you will be saved the most, the reason why you as a Christian will endure to the end is because Jesus is still living. And because he's still living, he's still interceding for you. Because he's still interceding for you, you remain secure in the grip of God. The only thing more powerful than 10,000 archangels surrounding you at all times are the prayers of Jesus. You are more safe in your understanding of being able to walk into the presence of God someday by the prayers of Jesus than if 10,000 archangels to be around you at all times. When Jesus sits down on heaven's throne, peace of God is available to you. But... Jesus being on heaven's throne is great. It's wonderful. It's a great blessing. It's the most important thing you need. You ain't right with God. You ain't right with anything. I don't care how many high opinions people have of you. I don't care if the whole entire world is right with you. If you ain't right with God, it doesn't matter. 
Jesus being on heaven's throne is great. But at the end of the day, we don't just want him in heaven. We want him here with us. We want him on earth with us. We want him by our side. Yes, Christians are meant to live by faith, walk by faith, but God help us. Eventually, it has to give way to sight. Eventually, we want to see Jesus face to face. We want to see him face to face and what will come as a result of him being in our presence. So there is a peace that comes from Jesus sitting on heaven's throne, and there is a peace that will come when Jesus sits on earth's throne. So the first throne is heaven's throne. That one's the most important. Because if he doesn't sit there, you don't have peace with God. Now that's great and all, but, but last time I checked, things on earth are not the way they should be. Here's the thing. Leaders come and leaders go. Pastors come and pastors go. Presidents come and presidents go. I'm not going to say much about President Trump being impeached, but here's one thing I thought. I don't know what more evidence you need that a president can't bring shalom. A president can't bring peace. I don't care who's in office. I don't care how great of a president they are. If it ain't Jesus, shalom ain't coming. Death is still, people are still dying. Families are still disintegrating, being raised in a fatherless generation. Babies are still being aborted. Racism is still coursing through our veins, even if we don't feel it, it's still there. Cancer and disease are still taking loved ones away from us. My wife and I were just at a funeral this past week of a dear friend of ours. Her father was taken away from terrible disease. Young women are still being taken into sex trafficking. Tsunamis and earthquakes are still swallowing up corpses by the thousands. Shalom is not here. And the only way that any of this will be taken away is if Jesus actually comes and sits on earth's throne. Prophet Isaiah actually says in chapter 25, verses 7 through 9, he says, And the Lord will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. When Jesus Christ comes, it's as if he will take his massive arms and pull back this huge covering over the face of the earth. And it says in here that that covering is death. He will just rip it away from us all. Take away tears, take away the reproach of his people. So when Jesus comes and sits on earth's throne, it's not just peace with God, it's peace with creation and it's peace with each other. And when Jesus Christ comes on this day, the second advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, people would say, 
we're not going to be the only ones worshiping and singing. And I'm not talking about angels or God. Psalm 98, verses 7 through 9. Listen to who's joining us on this day. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I am not totally sure how literal to take this. I think it's safe to say that your Christmas tree will probably not be clapping its hands, literally having hands clapping. But what the Bible's doing, it's, it's like using language to stretch your imagination beyond what you could ever possibly fathom. That there's something coming so, it's like gonna split your mind in half from its mind-boggling nature. That the, the, the magnitude of Jesus' presence as Prince of Peace on earth when he comes to sit on earth's throne will be so forceful that it will not just draw out praise from our mouths. It will draw out praise from rocks. It will draw out praise from mountains and from the sky and from the dirt and from the dust and from the seas and from the clouds and the trees. He will be so worthy of praise that for even creation to not be joining in, it will be dishonoring to him. Paul the Apostle says in Romans 8, the whole creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth until now, and not the creation only, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we're not the only ones groaning for Jesus to return to creation. Even the creation itself in some strange way, is longing for Jesus Christ to return. And I'm afraid that many of us do not live as if this day is actually coming. Far too many of us, me included, go through life as if this is not actually going to happen someday. If this is a reality, there is no such thing as absolute despair for the Christian. There is always something to look forward to. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how difficult things are, nothing is so despairing as to snuff out the light of this future hope. It, is, it cannot happen. So one of the things I, I pray to, to, for myself Almost every afternoon, I have a little afternoon prayer that I pray. I got it from, from John Calvin, and it says, My good God, Father, and Savior, I thank you for the many blessings that you constantly shower upon me. Thank you for sustaining my physical life through food and clothing. Thank you for granting me new life through the gospel. And here's my favorite part. And thank you for the certainty of the best and perfect life which is yet to come. The certainty of the best and perfect life which is yet to come. If you are feeling a bit hopeless <laughs> right now, believe this. Look to this. Jesus will, he will sit on earth's throne and all of your aches, all of your pains, 
all of your discouragements, all of your disappointments, all of them, if you trust in Jesus, will be removed. That's incredible. That's a marvelous thing to look forward to. But here's the thing. So Jesus is sitting on heaven's throne, and that gives us peace with God. He will sit on an earth's throne, which will give us peace with creation and with each other. But none of that will be yours if Jesus does not sit on your heart's throne. The last throne that Jesus must sit on is your heart's throne. We're getting real personal now. Right? It was all cute and theological. A lot of you theology nerds are like, oh, this is great. The, the eschatology and the future coming of Christ. I love this. It's time to get personal now. If Jesus is not sitting and reigning and ruling in your heart now, you do not have peace with God. And if he's not reigning in your heart now, this future coming day when Jesus will sit on earth's throne, he will restore everything and it will be, so, it will be, there will be no limit to our happiness. There's no cap to it. You ever heard of a salary cap? No happiness cap in heaven. It just keeps going. Day after day, after, it just keeps rising. If Jesus is not on, your, on, the heart of your thro- on the throne of your heart, that day will not be yours. You will be excluded from it. I said in the first service, it will be the ultimate FOMO. It will be the ultimate fear of missing out. You know, and we laugh, but it's like there's something about that thing we joke about, FOMO, that gets down to something really deep. We fear missing out on things because we fear missing out on something really big in the future. You may not want to admit that, but if you do not cling to this king who was born on Christmas Day, you will be permanently excluded from this glorious coming of Jesus. Every single one of us has a little imaginary throne in our hearts. Every single one of us. There's a little imaginary throne in our hearts and whatever or whoever is sitting on that throne calls the shots. It controls your actions, your decisions, your choices, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, what you believe is right, what you believe is wrong. It calls the shots. In fact, Paul the Apostle says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. That word rule literally means to be the umpire. So Paul the Apostle is basically saying, put Jesus on the throne and let him call the shots. So if Jesus is not on the throne of your heart, something else is there calling the shots. So let's just do a a little, some, some example. Let's get real personal here. Let's do a couple of possibilities. Number one, one possibility is this. Let's say that what is sitting on your heart's throne is your reputation or your career. It calls the shots. How you're perceived, where you gain and what you achieve in life sits on your heart's throne. It calls the shots. 
So Jesus comes, he comes in all his glory, and he comes to you in the gospel, and he says, your reputation is a bit too important to you. And you're sacrificing your integrity, you're sacrificing your character, you're hurting a lot of people to get to the place where you are now. And I see you who for you really are, and it's time for you to come into the light. Let me be on the throne. And the reputation and the career umpire says, nope. My reputation is too important. It's too valuable. It feels too good to me. I've worked too hard to get to the place where I'm at today. That'll hurt too much. Get back, Jesus. Or let's say that family, I've got a lot of young families here in this church. Your children, your family or your children are sitting on your heart's throne. So you, what calls the shots is, is that you can control everything, your children and your lives and how things are going and, and you're putting them up on a, on a pedestal and you're putting all your hopes there. If we can just look a certain way, everyone's sending out their Christmas cards. I got nothing against Christmas cards. Nothing against them. But it's, it's kind of like this, look how awesome we are. <laughs> but if we're not careful, we can put that up on a pedestal. And Jesus comes to the throne and he approaches it and he wants to assume the throne. And he says, I never promised you that you would have a perfect family. I never promised you that your kids would be safe for the rest of your life. I never promised you anything. I only promised you me. And you're trying to control way too much. And you're trying to, to ease your anxiety by trying to manipulate so that your family turns out a certain way. And I need you to step, make that step off the throne and let me sit there. Hand it over to me. And the umpire in your heart says, nope. If you can't promise me that, Jesus, then I'm going to bear down even harder in my control. And I will remain God over my family if you can't ensure me that. Or, last example, finances, money, credit card bills start to rise in the season. We get a little, finances are getting tight towards the end of the year. And the, the, the financial security that you thought you had is beginning to, 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 to itch at your anxiety and make it flare up a bit. That dollar sign is sitting on that throne and you're, you're aiming for financial security. If I could just make this much, if I could just make the budget work here, then I'll be really secure and happy and find rest. And Jesus comes to you and he says, it is so much more blessed to give than to receive. Let it go. You're, you're trying to hold on to your finances because you believe the lie that that's going to bring you shalom. That's going to bring you rest. And if you really want to find joy, let it go and let me assume the throne. And the money umpire says, nope. I, mu I must have this. I will hold on to it even tighter and if I have to give to you, Jesus, I will give to you only if it feels comfortable. All the while not knowing that Proverbs 11.4 says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. It doesn't matter what's on, the, on, the, on your throne's heart, excuse me, your heart's throne. Whatever or whoever's there, it may give you a false sense of shalom 
It may give you a sense of peace. It may give you a sense of rest. But in the end, if it's not Jesus, that's all going to get left behind. It will not profit you in the day of wrath. It will not profit you in the day when Jesus Christ comes to sit on earth's throne. That's why Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Church at Bergen, everyone in here, all of us, me included, you need to let Jesus rule in your hearts. You need to let Jesus sit on the throne. You need to let Jesus sit on the throne. You need to let him kick out of the throne whatever and who or whoever is sitting there. And let him give you true rest. And this is not like a one-time thing. It's not like a, you let Jesus sit on your heart's throne and things are all good instantly. It's not prosperity gospel. As soon as you believe in him, all will be good. It's a daily battle, friends. It's a daily battle to fix your mind upon Jesus to find this true rest, to find this true peace. Because every single day, things are constantly climbing up the steps to assume the throne. Are they not? That's why Isaiah 26, 3-4 says, You keep him, Lord, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. It's fixed there. Because a lot of things are going to be pulling at the throne, striving and grabbing for the throne. And you have to keep your mind fixed there. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, another great verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and supplication present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mine for the day of Christ. It will guard it. It will guard. Guard the throne and keep Jesus there. Because at the end of the day, you remind yourself, I cannot say yes to these things. I cannot let these things assume the throne because if I do, I lose peace with God and I lose shalom that's coming with Jesus in the future. And it doesn't matter if you gain the whole world. What does Jesus say? You can gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. So I want to end with just a, uh, a, personal, a personal illustration of how this has been, how this happened to me, how the peace of Christ reigned in my heart one time. Uh, there was something that was trying to assume the throne in my heart, and the peace of Christ, by God's grace, remained on the throne. It was about... 10 years ago, this is very strange, but just this past week, as I was preparing for my sermon one night, um, I, I just started, I don't know if any of you guys have ever, ever done this, you begin to search way back at the beginning of your Gmail, like years ago. I, I looked back at, at, on, on some emails on my Gmail account from 10 years ago. And it was when my wife and I were living in Philly before we moved here about seven or eight years ago. And... Um, we had just moved there. We had like just got married. We moved to Philadelphia. My wife was going to nursing school at Drexel, and I was like trying to find work, and I was struggling to find work. And we were making like no money, none. And I found this like sales job at some, for some meat company called US Beef. I was literally driving around in a truck with a freezer on the back of it, going door to door trying to sell meat off the back of a truck. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really bad. It was as bad as it sounds. That's, I, I, that's, that's the work I was doing 
And I was making like pennies. And if you are a man in here and you know what that's like when you are failing to provide for your family the shame that's experienced, the shame that is felt, you're not feeling like a man able to provide for your family. And then also you got the shame thing coming at me. You're not a true man. And then you got this other thing, anxiety building. I have to find a job. I have to find a job. I have to provide for my family. And these are the things that were coming after my heart. And um, through some connections in Philly, I was able to get to some final stages for my first Bible teaching position at a high school, Delaware County Christian School in the Newtown um, Square, Pennsylvania. And uh, they, should not, they should not have given me the job. I had no experience. I, yes, I went to Wheaton College. It was a Christian school, but I, had, I didn't do a Bible degree. I majored in biology. I had no teaching experience. They, had, they should not have hired me. In fact, they actually made an additional like one or two steps because they're trying to figure out a way if they could actually hire me, if it was right for them to hire me. And it was getting to the night when I was supposed to find out if I got the job. Oh man, I, had, I, mean, I mean, everything was hanging on this. Two days later, an old friend of mine named Aaron Reyes, who I played ball with back at Wheaton, he was a defensive end, just amazing athlete. He's a pastor now down in Austin, Texas, and he's just just an amazing man of God. I just reached out to my wife and I said, hey, how are you guys doing? You guys doing okay? It was a couple days after I got the, got the call whether I was gonna get it or not. And this is, this is my email. I just copied and pasted my email that I sent him 10 years ago. Hey, Aaron, I wanna tell you about an experience I had with the Lord. The night that I would find out if I got the teaching job, I sat down with my Bible and journal and just prayed through the scriptures. I slowly began to feel the Lord pressing on my heart. It became heavier and heavier, and then I got one of those lumps in my throat because I felt the urge to cry. I was pleading with the Lord for him to bless Karen and I with this job because I felt anxious and weary from waiting on the Lord. But then I realized what God was doing in this moment. In times like that, he simply outweighs the worry, the doubt, and the fears with himself, with himself. He pressed into my heart so deeply that it made all the anxiety as nothing. He didn't tell me that everything was going to be okay because I would get the job, but that everything was going to be okay because he is who he is. He didn't ensure me that I was going to get the job he simply pressed into my heart and said, whether I give you the job or not isn't the point, Michael, but that you know that I am the Lord and you are mine in Christ. That is all that matters, period. I prayed and cried a lot with Karen, and then I received the call that I got the job. The point is not that I got the job. The point is that on my heart's throne was the prospect of this job giving me peace, giving me shalom, giving me security, giving me rest. And Jesus was so kind to say, whether I give you the job or not 
is not the point. I need to be on your throne, and that's going to be enough. And it was. It was. Dude, I have failed as a pastor. If you walk out of here and say, it wasn't that a great story. He put his trust in Jesus, and he gave him the job. That is not the point. The point is, even if he doesn't, that's a phrase. Just let that stick with you a bit today. Even if he doesn't, Jesus will sit on the throne of my heart and give me true rest, true peace, true shalom, true joy, even if he doesn't blank. That's when you know. That's when you know you've come in contact with the real Jesus. When you can say, even if he doesn't. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. That he is the one who sits on heaven's throne. He's the one who will sit on earth's throne. But most of all, the one who needs to sit on our heart's throne. I pray for everyone in here right now who they are aware that something else is calling the shots. Someone or some thing other than Jesus is ruling in their hearts and calling the shots. And it's not just giving them anxiety. It's not just giving them unrest. It's bringing them face to face with the reality that they are not at peace with God. And they will not be included in the day when Jesus comes to renew everything. I pray, for, Lord, that you would